When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name's uh, Damon Monk, and uh, yeah, my journey with dogs, I grew up here in, uh, I live in Idaho, in the Mountain West, and uh, from the time I was just little tiny, uh, we've had all different types of dogs, mostly mostly herding, herding type dogs. Um, I live on a big ranch in a really rural area, and uh, so I grew up just thinking of dogs as oh like horses or or any other animal that's you know they're they're a companion but they're also a, a tool and 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 useful i i i didn't even it was probably until i was older that i realized that people had dogs that didn't even do anything they just kept dogs just to have them because our dogs always did jobs and always worked that were expected to work and and uh yeah so we had we had some healer and collie mixes and and mostly uh, mixed mixed breed dogs growing up, but they were they were really smart, and intelligent, and and uh, did their jobs. Um, and I, you know, they were they were my best friends. I lived out in the country, and so there weren't a whole ton of kids to play with all the time. You know, before I got in school and stuff. And so, yeah, I one dog in particular, she was by my side from the time I was almost born until uh, I was in high school. So. So yeah, I've always always loved dogs from the time I was little, and and always been interested in different breeds and and different working dogs especially. So yeah, so I, I being a dog enthusiast, I had uh, I had read about a bunch of different dogs. I think we had some books and stuff. I, I uh, I'm an avid reader. I really like history and and things like that. And so I had uh, had read about the Ridgeback and uh, early African history. It also interested me a lot. So I'd read a little bit about them there and, and some of the, I, I'm also a hunter as well, I should add. So, um, so I had read about some of the early African hunting days, uh, the safaris and, and famous things like that. And uh, anyway, I'd ran across uh, accounts of Ridgebacks there too. And so anyway, I, I looked into it more and found out more about the dogs and just really, really thought they were a cool, cool type of dog. And, uh, and then years down the road, I, uh, I ran into, uh, a, a, had a friend who, who actually had a, a great Ridgeback from purebred, uh, lineage. And, uh, and I didn't know anything about the lines then, but it just happened to be that, uh, it was from pretty old school working type, uh, dogs that had been imported from Africa only one generation before. And, uh, anyway, opportunity is a weird thing, but it, it, uh, they, they moved and got into a house where they didn't have much of a yard and the job changed for the individual and a bunch of things. And they actually ended up, uh, that I, I didn't pay a ton of money, but selling the dog to me because they knew it would have a, a much better life uh, with me and my lifestyle than the one they currently had. And, and that's how I got my first Ridgeback. 
I think I think uh, one of the things I admired the most is uh, their versatility. Um, this is a dog that, and, and a lot of people don't know that, but this is a dog that, uh, because it's a frontier-type dog, just like the, a lot of the curs in America were, um, it's a it's a frontier type dog, so it's it was expected back in the day to be able to do all different kinds of jobs. It's not a specialist, and specialist dogs are fine, and I, I love some specialist dogs. But I I live a varied lifestyle where I do a lot of different things in the course of a year, and and I really like the fact that I could take this dog with me doing all these different activities that aren't even connected or related or anything else hunting and herding and uh doing all different types of things and and the dog uh also its intelligence is is amazing but they, they'd pick it up they would learn in a very short amount of time uh what what was expected and and what was helpful and they would uh would help me with that and and be a companion i could use the dog uh for all those different things and that was that was probably probably the biggest biggest thing I enjoy about them. Right. Yeah. So in order to understand the the Rhodesian Ridgeback, you have to understand uh, you know where it comes from. And, and I'm, I I love history. So so this is one of the most fascinating parts about the breed for me was learning about how it started. And basically, um, like I said earlier, it's a it's a pioneer or a settler type dog because in the early 1600s. Um, uh, the first white colonists and explorers started to started to hit uh, the southern tip of Africa, and they uh, went through and, and just like the pioneers in America, they there was all this you know land and wild and a really savage place, really really savage, even you know even more so for sure than than the American West. You know, they talk about how dangerous the American West was. And I, I have pioneer ancestors, so I know a bit, a thing or two about, you know, the, the early pioneering days here. But Africa was on another level. I mean, every single thing imaginable could kill you back then. And uh, and it was a, a truly, truly dangerous place. And these people were tough. They were, um, they, they called them boars, but it's basically a word for a, a Dutch farmer. And most of them were from Dutch ancestry, and they were tough as nails, man. There's probably not another group ever that, that will ever be as tough as, as some of those people. They were really, really gritty, and they uh, they took off with wagons and uh, and basically expanded northward into um, into the, the Cape of South Africa, and. They, they, of course, like every other pioneering people, they needed dogs. You needed dogs almost more than any other place because you needed an alarm system when uh, when something was, you know, coming into your homestead or coming into your livestock. You needed uh, help hunting. The, the ballistics were not great back then with with rifles and and firearms, and so you needed an animal that could blood trail uh, wounded impala or. Uh, or wildebeest after you'd shot it. Um, you needed um, a companion because there weren't a lot of people out there. You needed them for a million different reasons. And, and they brought some dogs with them. But a lot of the purebred dogs that they brought could not survive the African landscape. 
and uh, there's there's a lot of diseases and parasites and 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 obviously wildlife too that that would just kill kill a tremendous amount of dogs in in short order and so uh one one observation they had made when they came to the continent is there was a group of people uh there called uh, they called them the hottentots and i they they i'm sure they have another indigenous name but uh we'll just call them the hottentots but the hottentots had had uh dogs and they also had uh cattle and sheep actually they had brought down i believe the arabs had brought in from north africa and they had migrated all the way down there and so they used these dogs and the europeans were a little bit prejudiced towards you know any anything that the africans had they you know considered it inferior kind of and stuff but these dogs they they were really impressed with they're very impressed with the the dogs that these guys had and so they there was a it was a smaller dog and it had a ridge on its back that ran the opposite way a ridge of hair and who knows where that came from along the line but it was it was a really dominant trait and so they found that when they these dogs interbred with uh with their dogs their european dogs that that ridge continued a lot of the time and also the instincts and the the uh, hardiness that allowed these dogs to live in the african uh, landscape was passed on to their dogs so these dogs became some of the you know not only the only dogs that would survive in the bush but also a superior dog they had superior courage they were very alert and wary for danger um a lot of other a lot of other aspects as well they were they were very loyal in protecting their families anyway so they uh, interbred with those dogs and uh and um and, and and mostly by accident you know there were i'm sure there were some intentional breedings but a lot of it was just dogs are here and dogs are there and whatever dogs survive get to breed and pass that on and uh anyway they uh they continued on and then uh later a couple hundred years this happened with with the dogs interbreeding and everything else and people basically it was it was the old days so people didn't care about breeds much at all especially the farmers and and uh explorers they all they cared about was a dog that would do the job and could survive that's that's the only qualification and so a couple hundred years went by of these dogs intermixing and uh and then the northward expansion uh kind of ramped up and a lot of the boars i believe they call it the boar trek but the boars were kind of displaced out of the southern area and and traveled up north into what is now zimbabwe and they call that rhodesia and it was a really wild country a very very dangerous place a tremendous amount of lions tremendous amount of dangerous wildlife uh some of the natives were really hostile as well it was a it was a crazy place and they uh they took these dogs with them and uh a man named Charles Helm he was a he was a uh a pastor actually and he traveled all over the area you know uh preaching to people he lived in a he lived in a very uh good stopover point for people that were trekking up into that country he had and he would invite everybody to you know stay at their house uh that were trekking up there and and stay with them 
and he had a couple of these dogs, these Ridge dogs, and people admired them so much and, and thought they were so great that they uh, took a few of them. Uh, one of the main people he, he, he allowed his dogs to be bred to was uh, a guy named Cornelius Van Royen. And he was probably the most pivotal uh, individual that helped to consolidate what now is the Rhodesian Ridgeback. And he, he had some, he was a big game hunter, an explorer, a farmer, and a rancher, a soldier. He was just a, an all-around badass guy. I mean, tough as nails. He almost died about a million times, just lived on the frontier. But he, he was famous for lion hunting, and he really liked these dogs of, of uh, Charles Helm. And so he bred those dogs into his hunting dogs that he already had. And he found that the dogs with the Ridge had superior uh, hunting abilities and courage and uh, speed and agility and all the things needed to stay alive. And so, yeah, he, over the years, his dogs became famous and they were called Helms or Van Royen's lion dogs. And uh, yeah, he, he sold them and, and gave them away and, and everything else. And they slowly spread throughout Africa. Um, and in a nutshell, that's, that's uh, kind of how the dogs came to be. Um, oh, I should add also some of the breeds that, that go into the Rhodesian Ridgeback uh, that, that uh, Van Royen had and some of the other settlers had that went into the mix were obviously the, the Koi Koi dog, which is the, the dog the natives had, the, the dog with the ridge. That's where they get the ridge from. Um, Greyhound was another dog that was in the mix. Uh, pointer. There were a lot of pointers in Africa at that time. They're a very popular dog in, in Europe and, and, and for hunting. And so there's certainly pointer in the dogs. Uh, they mixed bulldogs in as well for the grit and tenacity. So there's bulldog in there. Um, there's great Dane. They, they put in some great Dane to bring the size up. Now great Danes weren't as massive as they are now. They were a lot, a lot more of a, a uh, working size, but they were still a large athletic dog. Um, and then Collie was added in for intelligence and, and probably herding ability and stuff as well. And then uh, they had some, some Irish terrier in as well. And uh, who knows, there could be some more stuff, but those are the things we know, we know of mm-hmm. fairly certainly. Uh, sadly, the, the Ridgebacks in, in America today are not used for much of anything except being fancy lawn ornaments or house ornaments. They're not even in a lawn most of the time. House ornaments. Uh, the Ridgebacks, it's kind of a kind of a crazy story because they went from being a very, very rough and tumble breed that was owned by the toughest, uh, most common men in Africa, you know what I mean? Just farmers, they're a farmer dog, a farmer, rancher, hunter dog uh, that were used by, you know, the working working type people that worked with their hands and worked, lived outside and, and lived off the land. And when they, as time passed, and especially as they were imported into Europe and into America, they 
because of the novelty of them, because they were a rare thing. There weren't a lot of Ridgebacks around. They were a rare breed. They were from Africa. They had this, you know, cool story behind them, how they hunted lions and all of this stuff. And so because of all those factors, the type of people that got them in America were not the working class type people. They were high society a lot of times and, uh, and, and dog enthusiasts, but, but more the, the breeding and, and show dog show type people. And unfortunately that has kind of remained to this day. Most of the Ridgebacks in the United States are, are bred by dog show you know, type people and, or pet or pet people that are selling them as pets. And that has done the Ridgeback a, a huge disservice on this continent, a really big disservice. And it's similar in Europe too. Um, you don't see a lot of Ridgebacks working because of a couple of factors. One, the, you know, the, the breeders, if you tell most Ridgeback breeders that you are going to use your dog for hunting hogs or, or, uh, you know, even herding cattle or anything like that, they probably wouldn't even call you back or, or let alone sell you a puppy. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the pet trade, a pet doesn't, doesn't have to do anything special at all. It, you know, there's no qualifications for a pet. Uh, you know, it needs to be a, a good dog and, you know, fairly family friendly and that, and Ridgebacks have always been that way. You know, they, they certainly bred them to take the edge off. Ridgebacks are, are quite a, a active guard dog normally. And back in the day, they were a very active guard dog. There is no chance you would ever get into somebody's yard or house with a couple Ridgebacks if you were a stranger back in the day. And nowadays, they bred that down in some cases quite a bit to where, you know, you might have a Ridgeback not even bark or protest or anything if uh, if you went into somebody's house. Uh, now, there's a lot of Ridgebacks are still the old school style mine certainly are but but there's a lot that have lost that edge and that's unfortunate um because that's not how the dog was designed um but yeah so so pet pet trade and uh and dog show people are are basically the the main the main owners and users of ridgebacks in the united states these days yeah so i have i over the years i've kind of networked with other enthusiasts uh, for the Ridgeback, and uh, and I have I have contacts in, in Germany, in uh, Sweden, in Africa, of course, in uh, a few other countries that um, still still have working type Ridgebacks, and it's pretty it's pretty scattered all over the place. though. there's not a there's no there's no mecca of area where where there's just a, a huge concentration of of working Ridgebacks. They're pretty scattered around. Um, and I'm trying to, my goal is to, uh, is to kind of consolidate that and, and get over the years, we've tried to have some groups and things like that, where we can keep that blood alive and, and keep active, uh, breed, uh, breeding of, of those style of old fashioned Ridgebacks to, uh, to be able to continue that on. So my dogs differ in uh, a few ways. Um, the, the the physical standards they don't differ 
a ton. The, the, the only, one of the only things the Ridgeback community has done very well is they've done a fairly, fairly good job of keeping the Ridgeback physically somewhat similar to, to how, how they were. I mean, there's, there's a big discrepancy. Some of some areas of the country get Ridgebacks that are really large and that they certainly shouldn't be too big. And, and some, you get them a little on the smaller side, but smaller is actually more historically correct. Um, it's, it's the temperament and demeanor and drive and instincts where they really drop the ball. Um, so my, my Ridgebacks are a little bit smaller than some that you might see at a dog show. Um, my, but they're, they're within the standards still. But, um, and the, the main difference where mine differ from a lot of Ridgebacks that I've seen in the, in the country is, uh, in their demeanor and, and instincts. Um, they're very, very much the, the old school type dog. They're, they're very protective of the property and my family and children, but, but very controllable. I can, I can completely call them off if, you know, somebody comes over and unannounced and, you know everything else I can call them off and they listen and, and everything. But, but I mean, without me giving the command, you're not, you're not getting into my area or my yard or house or, or anything like that. Um, and, and hunt wise as well. They just on their own completely, they have the drive to, uh, you know, smell out and flush birds. They'll uh, blood track on their own from the beginning. I mean, I've, I've worked with all my dogs on this as well, but just naturally from the beginning, they will, they will start, start doing this and uh and then uh bang up bang up game too they will they just naturally want to find seek out and and bay up big animals that like to fight so um i i've used that to my advantage here i live on a, a, a big cattle ranch and we have to move cattle all the time we live in a we live right next to the mountains and we graze our cattle out in the out in the mountains and forest out in the wilderness all summer long and so come fall we have to ride for sometimes it might take a couple weeks ride through the mountains and uh places you can never get you know any kind of motorized vehicle or even a four-wheeler motorcycle and uh on horseback and and round up all these cattle and so they they use their nose and uh and other other uh characteristics to to help find these cattle and bay them up and then uh and then we herd them herd them back down for the winter and uh, i they they'll do that with uh mountain lion with bear um i hunt raccoons all the time with them um yeah uh they they hunt upland birds i hunt pheasant and uh, grouse and things over the top of them uh let's see they'll, they'll they'll do almost anything especially if they have a little bit of training they they really enjoy enjoy hunting so that's that's probably the biggest difference uh in my dogs versus a lot of the others is sadly not all but but a lot of dogs in north america anyway and and probably europe as well have lost some of that hunt drive and and uh an instinct i i have friends that run you know 
pure hounds yeah. and everything else. And you have to you have to always be wary of it with any any type of dogs mm-hmm. uh, because you know skirmishes can arise just like people. Yeah. <laughs> you could you could have somebody you really have a beef with and they just clash and don't don't get along well and, and everything. But but nothing like bulldogs or anything else. I've hunted my dogs with complete stranger dogs. And the funny thing is, uh, you know, I can be out in the wilderness hunting with a friend with you know his hounds that they my dogs have never seen before and unless the dog is just really nervy and you know invading their space and and basically causing a problem my dogs won't won't mess with things or or anything else they're kind of more focused on hunting whatever we're whatever game we're hunting um but if that same dog were to show up at my house or my property their their territory and you know what i mean i wasn't there they would you know sadly they would probably kill it um because it's you know it's a different dynamic but if you're out in neutral ground mm-hmm. my dogs have been around my dogs are, are constantly around other dogs and, and everything else and yeah no problems at all i now i don't have any uncut males and anytime you have uncut males you've got to you know be careful but uh, I, I, I've been around some uncut males hunting, and, and they they worked with other dogs and were fine. But if you had two uncut males, uh, you you would need to really watch things closely, just you know, just to be careful. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there's there's ridgebacks, uh, there's ridgebacks that uh, you know are like therapy dogs. There's ridgebacks that uh, obviously mine, you know, herd cattle and hunt and things like that. Um, there's ridgebacks that are uh, detection dogs. Um, I working on a project now. I can't talk a lot about it because I signed a disclosure statement. But I'm working on a project now that would involve Ridgebacks in in a aspect of national defense. Um, and so yeah, there's Ridgeback. They have a Ridgebacks have a have a good nose. It's it's not to the caliber of you know a pure hound. Nothing. No other dogs are. It's it's not a pure hound as cold as a pure hound. But it's it's probably above a you know a german shepherd or a lot of the shepherd breeds um they can they can take a trail you know they can blood trail an animal really well they, they were expected to do that in the early days uh a lot that was one of the main things they would be used for besides you know hunting predators is uh all those all those early colonizers they uh you know hunted the, the amount of game in africa was just unbelievable so they would go out hunting regularly and the ballistics back then would rarely kill an animal the first shot. And, and the, the type of terrain in Rhodesia is very scrubby and a lot of brush and kind of similar to parts of, of South Texas and stuff where there's a lot of, a lot of brush and thickets and things like that. And very often the dogs would have to trail an animal for miles and miles to uh, recover it for the, for the dinner plate. And so, yeah, they have a they have a really good nose. So you can use that nose for a lot of different things for for detection, for uh, for hunting, and et cetera. And, and they're a very athletic dog. They're they're unbelievably athletic. I, I I guess I didn't talk about that enough, but they are one of the most athletic dogs in the world, guaranteed. They it, written into the standard back in the day. It was written that. The Ridgeback had to be a, any specimen of Ridgeback had to be able to keep up with a running horse or a, a fast-moving horse for thirty miles, and 
there are only probably you could count on one hand the breeds of dog that exist in the world that could keep up with a horse for that distance in the African sun and heat. Not not many could do it, mm-hmm. and and especially have the strength at the end of such a journey to be able to bring down a you know what I mean an impala or a, or you know some other uh, antelope or something like that uh, it they're they're an incredible specimen they can go all day long in while while gathering cows and things like that I've been on the four wheeler before and uh, and with an odometer and I've gone over 50 miles in one day and the dogs have probably gone at least 10 miles or so 15 miles more than that running up and down the hillsides and everything else but the four-wheeler itself went 50 miles and the dogs went the entire day from morning until night non-stop and uh and there's not many breeds that can do that so they're physically they are superior to almost any other dog that i've ever been around mm-hmm. yeah their trainability is is pretty good they're not as easy to train and they're not as eager to please as some of the shepherd breeds mm-hmm. you know you can you can breed a collie you know like that you can breed a german shepherd or malinois you know fairly fairly easily they they want to please you a ridgeback has one foot in one world and one foot in the other because they're a mixed breed they have they have some of the the you know they're, they're very loyal so so they would you never have to doubt the loyalness of the dog so even though they might not want to play fetch with you because they think it's stupid, <laughs> they would, they would, they would protect you. You know what I mean? A, a good, a good specimen would die protecting you. And my dogs have proved that over and over again. I mean, they would, they would fully, fully die and, uh, to, to protect me or my family. And, uh, so, so they've got kind of a dual nature. They, they will they will help you if, with something if they feel like it's important, which all of the activities I try to involve mine in are, are you know important and everything else and they it, it passes their test I guess to think if it's cool but they're not like a lab or or something where they'll play fetch with a ball you know a hundred times in a row on your lawn they'll look at you after the first or second time like what's the point of this and uh, and. Uh, that's kind of carries on to other things too. They'll they'll listen. You uh, they need to be trained well, but they they listen pretty well. I I have pretty pretty complicated uh, in instructions and and commands that I use mine for, but um, they still have a tiny bit of aloofness where they'll they're independent enough. They you know they'll they'll think nothing of taking off, and uh, if they're not trained better, they'll you know they'll trail something you know, for a while while you're yelling at them and stuff like that, because it's more interesting to them than, than you, if you don't have a good handle on your dog. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would put them about a, a moderate level of trainability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, they're fairly, fairly healthy dogs. Um, there's a thing that they inherited with the Ridge called dermoid sinus. And that's basically where the Ridge, the, the hair follicle, when they're, I, I might happen in utero, or I'm not sure, but it basically goes down under. It it ends up going down underneath the the skin, and can cause 
spinal issues and and uh, and basically makes a makes a pathway for germs or bacteria to get down inside of the body from the exterior of the dog and so that's a very bad thing any any dog with dermoid sinus you probably want to call or or i think they have a surgery now that you can do on the dog but you certainly don't want to breed a dog like that i've never had any anything like that um but i i do check for it it's not super common but it is a it's a unique it's a unique thing because of the ridge that you know no other breeds you know probably have um and then uh, there's, uh, they can, you have to watch their thyroid. They can have hypothyroidism sometimes, not, not very common, but it can happen. So a, a thyroid test is always a good idea. Um, hips and things like that are usually good, but I test for it anyway. Because this dog is supposed to have just, you know, outstanding carriage and stuff like that. They, and if you're going to run 50 miles in a day, you, you've got to have excellent elbows and hips. And uh, most of them do, but it's still, you know, like any breed, you, uh, the bigger, when they breed bigger and bigger dogs, you know, those, those problems crop up more and more. Um, uh, yeah, and those, that's, that's a lot of them. There's, they're pretty healthy. So what is, <clears throat> what does health testing mean to you? Health, t- health testing means to me that, uh, that a dog has been, um, that a dog has not been bred. I would never breed a dog, you know, when they're two years old or something like that, because you have no idea, just like a lot of people, you could be fit as a fiddle when you're 18 and then you turn 30 or 40 and you have a whole health, a whole host of problems, uh, come in and that weren't apparent earlier. So uh, I like, you know, a, a middle-aged dog, that is, you know, healthy and has no congenital problems. Um, I I test for yeah elbows and hips and and uh, thyroid and there's several others. I don't have them in front of me, but there's several other other tests as well I test for. But for me, which this is where I differ from most of the other breeders that you'll find, at least in America, mm-hmm. for Ridgebacks is. For me, a health, a, a tested dog is a dog that has been put through the gears. It has been used extensively. It's covered hundreds and hundreds of miles. It's gone through winters up here. It's gone through heat up here. It's gone through all different types of, of testing factors that it, intelligence factors. I mean, to be completely honest, a, a dumb dog won't survive here with vehicles and with dangerous animals and with uh, all the other things that we have a, a, a really not intelligent, not savvy dog will, will probably not live to adulthood. And uh, my dogs have to live through all of that before I would even consider breeding them at all. Mm-hmm. So when I breed any dogs, I know that they are a super hardy, super athletic type of, of uh genetics that's that's being passed on and that's how it used to be too they you know they didn't have all the medical testing that we do now which i'm I'm grateful for but they they had uh they had life experience and work experience that that really cold harder than anybody does now the natural environment cold incredibly hard and i don't live in africa so it's not as as difficult here but i 
based on the observations and everything else uh, in my work, it's still very strenuous work, and I can still see if a dog has it or if it doesn't have it. Right. Yeah, so I live in Idaho, so uh, the temperature ranges a lot here. I mean, I'm kind of in southern, southeastern Idaho, and so we get, you know, pretty cold winters, um, and the dogs, you would not want to have a Ridgeback. Uh, most Ridgebacks are indoor dogs these days in, in America, mm-hmm. but that's, you, you don't, you don't have to have them living completely inside. I don't, I don't have my dogs living in the house with me because my dogs are out working. They're covered in manure. Sometimes they're covered in blood. Sometimes they're, you know, uh, have ticks. Sometimes they have, you know, all the things of the wild with them. And, but I do have a, a heated, heated uh, doghouse for him in the winter. And I'll turn that on about, so November or so. And it has a heat source in there. They can get, you know, out of the cold if they need to, everything else. And that helps them for sleeping and just idle time. A Ridgeback has a single single layer coat. They don't have a an undercoat like a lot of breeds do. So they are more susceptible to the cold. Now, if a Ridgeback is up moving around and working and everything else, they can handle very cold temperatures and be pretty comfortable. But if they are just, uh, you know, immobile and, you know, resting or not moving or, you know, anything like that, then they'll, the cold will start to creep in and they'll get they'll get pretty cold. So no one in a northern climate should have a Ridgeback unless they have a, a heat source for them where they can get out of the cold and, and be comfortable. Um now that same coat is a is a huge benefit in the summer mm-hmm. because it, that that coat is what allows them to be able to you know handle the heat of Africa and and the heat of, you know I don't live in Africa but it still will you know get a hundred degrees here sometimes while I still have to work uh, and and dogs as you know are, are very prone to overheating you can kill a dog really fast mm-hmm. in the heat. And, and these dogs are, are pretty exceptional. You still have to be careful, but these dogs are pretty exceptional in the heat. And I, what I like is they can still work to a certain degree in the heat. Now, they, they'll kind of regulate themselves, so they won't, they won't be quite as peppy and quite as exuberant and, and as energetic, you know, if it's incredibly hot. But they, they can still work and get the job done, uh, you know, in, in hotter climates than, you know, almost any other uh, fully coated dog could. Yeah, yeah, excellent question. Um, I uh, I hope that well, I mean, my ultimate hope. This is this is probably not very uh, realistic, but my my ultimate hope would be that that people would kind of get more in touch with the dog's roots and start using them, using them uh, and testing them. The, the biggest thing is testing. I don't have a problem with a few people. You know, some people having ridgebacks as a, a a pet for their family. They, they make great pets. That's, that's fine. I have a problem with there being so many people just having a bridge back as a pet or as a show dog that that's where the selection starts to go towards. And that's, that's where it's headed now. They're selecting softer and softer demeanors. They're selecting, you know, different sizes because of what might win in the show ring. They're, uh, you know, a dog that has too much energy or is too, uh, to uh hyper is you know frowned upon when they needed that energy and that hyperness to you know to do their job and and survive back in the day um all of these qualifying factors that that made the dog what they are 
are being eliminated because no one tests for that. If you if if you're a breeder and you don't hunt and you don't herd livestock and you don't uh, you know use the dog for anything, you you never take your dog out and test its endurance or any of those things. How do you know what you're passing on? And, and that's where it's headed. That's, that's what's happening. And so I would, a, a pie in the sky goal would be that people would kind of turn around and, and go, okay, this is a working dog that was used for, for these activities. And there's a whole range of activities you can use the dogs for. It's not like it's a specialist breed. I, I hear one of the biggest things that bugs me is I'll hear from some of these show people, oh, well, we don't have any Ridgeback or we don't have any uh, lions in uh you know massachusetts or california or whatever so my dogs can't do what they were originally bred to do and that's that's bullcrap it's it's completely ridiculous the ridgebacks you know they got famous hunting lions they were they were the best dog out of all the dogs they had they were the best dog suited for tracking and banging up lions and that's an incredible thing but to pretend that that's the only thing they were used for is just sheer ignorance they were they were used for a whole host of things and were good at a whole host of things that people nowadays can still do and still participate in just like many other breeds do and uh and that's a cop-out so that would be that would be what i would hope to happen but i i don't see that happening anytime soon sadly so my realistic goal would be to continue to uh to try on dogs that I raised, I only place them in, in homes that are working or or semi-working unless they don't have, like, like you explained earlier with your dog, unless they don't have quite the drive to do a certain job. And then I have no problem sending them to a a pet family, but, but they're not to be bred. And so, so any dogs that I pass on, I try to put in working homes and, uh, and I am trying to encourage some of the other people with with working type ridgebacks to to do the same i would love i would love it if the breed split and and we had a working working uh uh division on on one and and the dogs could still you could still take excellent specimens from the you know the regular side and and breed them if they show their their ability to work that's fine we have a we have a bigger you know gene pool that we could work from if that was the case, but sadly, a lot of breeders aren't, aren't doing that. They're not testing their dogs. So until that happens, we, we've got to protect the working qualities that, that are in uh, some of these Ridgebacks that we know have them. There's a million different types of Ridgebacks that would still be worth breeding. You could have Ridgebacks that, that uh, you know, lean more. Any type of dog from mixed ancestry, which the Ridgebacks are. I mean, Ridgebacks are essentially a cur dog from the frontier that they put a bunch of different breeds together and then and then they you know they solidified that type and so with with mixed ancestry like that you're going to get some dogs that you know have a little bit more of a a collie herding mentality to them Mm -hmm. you're going to get some dogs that might have a little bit more of a a guardian you know guardian uh flavor to them you get some dogs that might be very birdy and 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 have more of the pointer type into them, make fantastic pointing dogs or uh, bird dogs. But um, and that's all fine and dandy. But you have to test the dog to know what they have, and uh, 
And when that doesn't happen, you're going in blind. Yep. And you're also breeding a potentially a dog that doesn't have any of those attributes. Right. You know, I, I as a breeder, and, and I don't breed a lot of dogs. I In the past, I've only bred a few litters, and that's been mainly to replace a dog that I needed to replace right. on my own. They got old or died or whatever. Um, so I, I'm not one of these people that churns out puppies like crazy. I, I just usually breed what I can um, for myself and, and get rid of the rest. But um, they... Uh, I would I would love it if there was a whole group of people that had their dogs tested and knew their dogs' abilities thoroughly that I could look at and say, you know what, my dogs are a little light on uh, nose or on uh, uh, endurance or or some other category, and I could look to those dogs and and you know bring bring that in as a as new blood and. Uh, and improve my dogs, but I, I can't do that right now because nobody nobody does that, and every breed needs that. So, so him doing that with his Malinois, that that's fine and, and great. You know what I mean? And if he's being honest about you know that these dogs are fantastic at everything except bite work, that's that's a that's a fantastic that's a fantastic thing. You know, but 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 someone needing a hardcore uh, police dog, you know what I mean? Would would know that that might not be the direction they would want to go. You know. I would say probably the uh, probably the Buceron. If I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Buceron. They uh, they're a pretty rare dog, and they are they seem like a dog uh, close to my heart because they uh, they're they're similar to a Ridgeback where they are so versatile. Mm-hmm. They're a herding dog, from what I understand. I've I've read about them, but I have never seen one in person at all or ever seen one work you know besides the internet or anything like that and there's not a lot around i know um but they're a, they're a guard dog they're a herding dog uh, i i'm sure that you could probably uh hunt you know pigs and stuff like that with them um they're an athletic dog uh, and they're 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 great with families and stuff from what i understand too so that would it would probably be that that breed What's your favorite little small dog or lap dog? Oh, that's tough because um, out here where I am at, you cannot have uh, on a on a ranch setting unless unless it was just a strictly indoor dog. You cannot have a little dog easily at all. If I had a little dog, it would uh, it would probably be dead. If it, if it ran around with you know with me and my mm-hmm. activity it would probably be dead within a couple of weeks because of the coyotes that we have and stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they will just snatch up a little dog real quick, but I would say probably the, uh, I don't know if they're considered little or not, but probably a Jag Terrier. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm really impressed with them. They, they, you know, their heart is just tremendous, unbelievable. And they, from what I understand, they have some scenting ability to, to them. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're feisty little, little dog excellent thank you so much sean i appreciate it thank you take it easy you too bye bye